Hello, hello, and welcome. This is No Credit Continue. I'm Nick, I'm joined by Andrew, and this week we are talking about Roguelite. Hi, how you doing? We're in the, we're in the podcast now. Yeah, nice. It's good Isn't to be here. Ex- it's exciting. It's been a while. I've, I've been missing it. Yep. Okay, so we're talking about Roguelite, a game by Daniel Linson, uh, audio by Jonathan Tree. That is what the website says. You can get it on itch.io. I-T-C-H dot I-O. Uh, what is it? Tell us what it is. Uh, well, first, it's important to note that it's uh, roguelite spelled L-I-G-H-T in the title, which is actually important for the game. Uh, where, mainly because it's very dark, except when it's not. You have, you're in a, you're in a cave of some sort. There are a little bit of lanterns. It's mostly dark. And you have a bow and arrow. And your arrows provide you with light. And so you use that to both just keep kill enemies, uh, light more lanterns, and just see. It's, yeah. It's dark. And, and a big sort of aspect of the game, is, especially near the beginning, is just sort of uh, resource management. You only start with like the ability to hold three arrows, and you can't pick up arrows you've already fired. So it really becomes, do I want to see now? Do I want to see over there? Or do I need to protect myself? And... I don't know. I, I thought that was a really intense sort of... Uh... It is, and it's really cool. Um, yeah, especially since... Uh, so the arrow only lights up if you if you knock it, and then it slowly uh, fades, so you can't just hold it there. Uh, so you do have limited light all around, which is pretty awesome. It, I, it, was, it was a nice pun in the title that makes sense as a gameplay mechanic, so that was cool. <laughs> yeah, especially because you know it only lights up a certain area around you, and I believe that it, that light sources actually light up less of, of an area as you get deeper. So the idea is you're going deep enough underground, and you're trying to do something. Uh, that okay. So yeah, one of my one of my problems with the game um, is that one, there's no like indication of why you're there. You don't really need a, a reason in a game to be there, but like. Some vagueness, like you woke up in a cave or something, would have been nice. Yeah. Um, the second thing is that I didn't know, I had no clear goal. Like, obviously to go down, but I didn't know if I was, like, trying to reach, because the, the levels are, are numbered. But I didn't know, like, how deep it went, so I didn't know. You, you get you get a kind of sense of futility, because if you don't know, if you think you're either going, if you're going for, like, a high score kind of thing, which is just go for as far as you want, or if you're trying to reach a certain spot, you play a little differently, and so not knowing that kind of confused me at first. Well, because this game isn't as detailed in terms of, like, secret areas or, like, specific items as anything like Spelunky or even, you know, regular roguelikes. Like, just from the the moment you start it up, it has a... It's basically trying to emulate Game Boy Color palette, or mm-hmm. not even Game Boy Color, probably like original Game Boy. It's like five colors, one of them being dark black. Yep. Uh, which, you know, looks really good. And, you know, the limiting the color palette actually makes that sort of dark versus light effect even more uh, apparent. Um, yeah, so, and... so not really knowing uh, that, like, the goal for me became buy all the upgrades. And I, I was like, I'll worry about what comes next after that. And so, like, that became my kind of goal which was great, because I love upgrade games. That's a thing. Oh, yeah. Like, and so that's, if this game was just, like, a purely high-score-driven who can go the deepest in a run, like, I would be perfectly fine with that. Like, it's a small enough, kind of arcadey enough. There's not... It's not even, like, uh, Risk of Rain or... Um, yeah. 
What's the one with the kid? Binding of Isaac. Yeah, yeah. It's not. It's not enough. Like either of those were. You're like finding unique stuff. It's just like the upgrades are just like you can hold more arrows, you can get more health, yep. you can jump a little bit higher. Everything that it, you're not unlocking any new mechanics. It is just increments. Uh, you just increment that the, on the mechanics that you have from the part where you started. Yeah, and I really enjoy. I've been, I've played a couple of those types of games, and I found that I've really enjoyed them. Where it's it's like not technically permadeath because every run you do advances you a little bit by allowing you to buy whatever all these things are um that'll help you in the next run like you got this you got rogue legacy uh our darker purpose does that too and i don't know it, it makes you feel that you're accomplishing things even if you just die <laughs> yeah i don't know i kind of wish that they specifically in risk of rain like i like the way that sort of new characters are unlocked because it's not like it's not it's not a matter of just putting in enough time will unlock something it's yeah. or by or even by just random drop a lot of the characters are just like do these three specific things during the course of your many lives and then something will unlock so it's 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 not just it happens randomly or will happen eventually it's like no you still need to do something specific but don't worry about you know how many times you have to die in between like you will get there eventually but you still need to try for it and yeah, that, those, because you got like, um, uh, Risk of Rain, uh, like, uh, Desktop Dungeons and stuff have the other quality of roguelikes in that it is permadeath. Um, and the, what you, what you unlock doesn't help you get further. It just helps you unlock more of the game kind of thing. Yeah. Although, you know, getting more of the game at some point, you know, if you're getting something that is really cool or, or really powerful, that is helping you get. Oh, yeah. The like game. new, certain characters are obviously more powerful than others and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, uh, getting a chunk of meat I found once I unlocked that, then I got really further every time I played uh, Risk of Rain. Oh, yeah. Um, but in, uh, so, so in Roguelite, um, this, obviously the stuff you, you buy is like more arrows, uh, or brighter lights, or, uh, you get more, uh, of course, the first thing I buy is if, whenever I'm playing an upgrade game, no matter what, uh, it is, whether it's a tower defense game or if it's just purely upgrade or whatever, I always buy money. Buy the upgrades that get me more money. <laughs> buy money. It's a powerful opening <laughs> move. If you're playing Dominion, if you're playing a roguelike. Uh, the, and then I was worried that um, I would eventually, you know, like I would buy everything in the, in the, in the store and then I'd be, I'd still have no idea where the, where, what my goal is. And so like I would be kind of lost like there, but it turned out that I reached the end at kind of the almost the exact point that I had bought all the stuff in the store. So hmm. that actually worked out really, really well, and I like that. I don't know if that was... So it was kind of planned that way? It, it, um, I don't know too much of the story behind this game, but yeah. playing it, like, just the scope of it and sort of, like, like, the very limited, like, there are no extra mechanics to open. There's not, like, there's different zones. It's just you keep going deeper and deeper. It, it almost feels like this could have been something that came out of a game jam and something that was just like i have this one idea and i want to make a small system that works very much with it and then finish yep well yeah um, it's got it, it's got uh a final boss which is interesting oh yeah Ooh. uh Ooh. yeah because the, there were only a certain number of levels and when you reach the bottom level you find the final boss and you instantly die because you don't defeat it the way you think you defeat it <laughs> Really? You don't shoot arrows at it, and it does tons of damages if it touches you. 
Oh man! All right, don't say any more than that because I really need to get to that now. I, yeah, I won't, I, I won't tell you any more. But like, so the first time you see this guy, he's like, "Oh, I have arrows. I shall kill it." And then, oh god! Turns out that's not. That's yeah. uh kind of way the uh, first episode of Commander Keen ended. Like, <laughs> if you learn to read the standard galactic alphabet, not only can you tell what you're enchant- enchanting stuff with in Minecraft, but you can also uh, learn the secret trick that you do not defeat the final boss of Commander Keen by shooting at him. No. It's weird. It definitely fits in with the game. Um, I was, it was kind of interesting at, at that point I had gotten all the upgrades and I was still like, it didn't make me all power. One, my favorite thing, right, is the, um, uh, I think it's the most expensive upgrade or whatever. And what it co- it's called is Will o' the Wisp. And so you're looking at this and it's like, oh, okay, so that'll like provide me with a permanent light or whatever. Uh, which would really make the game a lot easier. And Yeah, it would kind of totally change the way you play it. Yeah, so I was like, oh, this is kind of like the end-all thing. But the thing is, it doesn't, because what it is, is it's a will-o'-the-wisp that kind of floats around you, but it, it uh, when you move away from it, it follows you, but like slowly, and then it accelerates, so it kind of goes past you, and kind of floats around and stuff. So it's never, it's, it's rarely ever actually on you. So it, it does really help you, but it never becomes overpowering because it's just kind of floating around. Huh. So it does sort of have its own whims. Yeah. Okay. All Which right. is cool. I like that. Yeah, so like I had a lot of misgivings when I started playing it. Um, and then a lot of that fixed itself as I got further in. So overall, I liked it. Yeah, the game is sort of extremely small and... Like, I almost questioned if it was something big enough worth talking about, but yeah. at, at the, the very, like, you know, the one idea that it is based on the core of, you know, you need light to see what you're doing. Because you, the, just the amount of, like, like it is just you cannot see things. You will walk into death if you do not have an arrow sort of knocked and, and yeah. lighting the way for you. Yeah. So just, just a very core mechanic of, like, protect yourself or see what there is that you need to protect yourself from. Like that is such like a core and it is just, you know, used so well in such a minimalistic way that this is really worth, you know, at least, at least checking it out. Like I'm almost wondering, like, is this an idea that we could see at some point, uh, in a a bigger scale game? Like what kind of game would this work in aside from the, uh, the sort of 2d platformer that it's already in because I, I, in Spelunky, the dark levels are my least favorite levels ever. Oh, they're the worst. Oh man. Like, basically, if I hit one of those levels, that Spelunky run is basically just over, or I end up, you know, wasting half of my resources bouncing around through it. Oh, you just gotta grab the torch and run for it. <laughs> yeah, I know, but then it's like, oh, hey, I need to... Unless keep... you're in the jungle. If you're in the jungle dark level, you're just dead. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, like, that's... Like, yeah. But so it's like, there's something about this where, like, you know, you can create new light sources, and it's just about, well... Do I need and and the the multiple use for it? Like people were talking about uh, one of the mechanics of The Last of Us, where the same equi- the same materials that you craft metal med kits with are the same materials that you use to create like grenades and stuff. So oh yeah, so you got to choose. Yeah, so I I wonder like it's like what other what else can you add to this without you know. Yeah, well, the kind of two things you use it for in this game are killing your enemies or uh, providing light. Yeah. Uh, or, like, lighting new lanterns, which is always good, because the lanterns are filled with money. So. Oh, yeah, uh, that's what you do, is you just take a while and just be like, all right, this run, I'm just wasting all of my arrows to light lanterns, because to get money is really not a waste. Yep. It's an interesting economy. 
of just it's, it's a, yeah like so playing all the way through the one thing the couple things i would have liked was like a text box in the beginning that's just said something anything to set it up mm-hmm. and a text box at the end because nothing happened <laughs> <laughs> there's just a boss and then it's over i don't know what i've i don't know what i accomplished here um another thing which i don't know if you could what could have been done for this one because it's so small but um generally for this type of game um i want a kind of uh literary reason that i'm able to continuously upgrade even when i die cuz like in in rogue legacy it's your descendant mm-hmm. right and it, it's 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 more of just kind of a, a a story progression thing. Like it doesn't actually matter. It doesn't actually change the gameplay or anything. Um, but if you could find a way to incorporate the game mechanics or whatever the core game concept is or whatever into this reason that you're able to continuously have have your stuff after you die, it just really adds to it. I think. Yeah. Well. Good. That's actually still one of the things that sort of gets me about Spelunky is just like, no, narratively, just like, yeah, no, death doesn't mean anything anymore. Like, I've I've died gruesomely and painfully a hundred times, but I'm just going to keep doing this thing. <laughs> That's like a cursed cave, I think. I, I can't remember what the excuse they gave for that one. Like, it's an excuse, but, like, it's fine. It's whatever. But, it, it is something. <laughs> but that one just really gets me because it's just like, after the first time you die gruesomely and you get a chance to, like like get back and change your mind about it don't you just immediately leave the cave or is that just me but gold but but gold (laughs) or was the same thing in a thousand and one spikes because like it's you know the same kind of spelunky cave spike traps actual death kind of thing but they they don't Uh even do that excuse of like it's a mystical curse cave it's just no you just have a thousand and one lives for some reason so you just die over and over and then you keep trying again it's just like it's like video games guys yeah, for, yeah. For this game, it didn't have enough visually to narratively explain what was going on, so it was more just straight up. But like it, the the visuals were intriguing enough that I felt like it would have really benefited from one. Yeah, because I'm like, okay, I'm a girl in this cave with a bow and a light bow and arrow, and there are horrible skeleton angel things. It it's definitely like it's one of those cases where like the mechanics. I I, I wonder like. There was, like, one story about, like, what if, you know, like, the verbal part of what if my bow was my light source, which then has, that alone has led to some interesting mechanics, which now if you go back and craft a story to excuse all the mechanics, like, you could get into a bunch of other things about, like, why you're here, where this place is, maybe there are other kinds yeah. of caves, like, like, the the main, the the palette is just sort of, like, blue and green, what if you go into, like, a red and brown cave at some point? And that's the second zone. Like, this is something that could definitely be expanded to... Oh, yeah. Uh, it definitely could be expanded, I feel. Um... Well, how, how long did it take you to play through this? Because I've, I've sat down and played with it a couple of times and didn't get everything, but... Um, that's a good question. Uh, I, th- I think in total I played it about an hour. Okay. Though not all together. Um, I think I left it and I played it for a little bit when you first showed it to me. Um, and then yesterday I was like, okay, gonna sit down and finish this now. And so I sat down and wrapped it all up in about an hour, I'd say. Okay. So yeah, like, like it's a short experience. Like you just put like a speedrun timer on it and then be like, yeah, we're gonna release this on the Vita because see what your 
fastest run during your bus ride is or something. Yep. Yeah, I, I, I feel, and I, I, it, it took me a while to kind of, uh, get used to things, and, um, I, I often flew into things where I was just running around in the darkness when I didn't really have to, so I'm, I'm sure a more careful person playing this game could probably finish it faster than I did. Yeah, especially somebody who's just really good at, like, arrow efficiency for getting gold. Yep, that's always good. Yeah. Um, Okay, I think we've probably said enough. Like, again, it's just like a super short game, but mm-hmm. like, it's a clever mechanic and it's just super, like, tightly, tight and well crafted that it's, it's worth your hour to check it out. Like, yeah, definitely. Uh, did you want to talk a little about roguelites in general? <laughs> the, um, the term. I mean, if, if you want to do more than we already have. Yeah. Well, I'll brief, just, just briefly touch on this because I, because when I, I was playing this and like, I saw the name. And it got me to thinking about, like, roguelites and what they actually are. Because, like, nowadays, our, 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 like, modern things that we call roguelites really aren't roguelites at all. Yeah. Um, because uh, for, for those playing at home, uh, roguelikes are, of course, the games like the original Rogue, which is a top-down dungeon crawler with turn-based... Um, it's it's turn-based movement and randomly generated levels and permadeath, which we don't really and like so roguelike games were that pretty much that same system, but like with other things like there was like like kind of dwarf fortress was kind of it, um, uh, like Angbad and stuff like that was was like that, and so like the roguelikes we have now, I think the main thing that kind of connects them to them is the uh, randomly generated levels based on whatever algorithm thing uh, i've i've heard somebody like come up and say hey specifically like the difference in terminology and actually i should look this up but well okay so the official definition of a roguelike by the international roguelike development conference in 2008 okay uh, <laughs> yeah i would love to have been there but um is that uh, an actual roguelike has five different things. One being randomly generated dungeon levels. Um, the identity of magical items varies across games, meaning that the things you find, even though they're named the same as the last game, they can do different things. You like the, like, I believe it was potions in the original Rogue, which was like, you did not know what they did until you tasted them. You only knew, hey, this is a blue one. And all blue ones, all blue ones for this life will do the same thing. But the next, like, if you die and come in the next time, then blue will do something else and you won't know until you try it again. Yeah, and um, uh, turn-based instead of real-time, which the stuff we call roguelikes nowadays generally doesn't. Single-player, obviously, and um, perma- permadeath. And so, uh, well, pretty much the thing that I think is consistent with the stuff we call roguelikes today is the randomly generated dungeon levels, mm-hmm. and then different things. And so, like, the terminology of roguelike-likes uh, are, like, stuff that have one one or two of those five, but nowadays we just kind of call them roguelikes anyway, so it's, it's kind of interesting how the term has just evolved to be completely different. <laughs> well, because, yeah, as this, uh, like, also specifically, you know, talking about roguelite, as in L-I-T-E, when people say that, so- somebody actually put forth that the difference between a roguelike and a roguelite is specifically referring to the uh, uh, unlocks between death 
that you know you know even when you die it doesn't reset all of your progression because you've earned these things that open up the game as a whole and so and there's the other term which i really like called procedural death labyrinth okay which um is something i would definitely put spelunky into the category of yeah where like where like permadeath is a thing and it's randomly generated levels but like it's not turn-based it's not whatever but it's but playing Spelunky, I would call that a procedural death labyrinth. No, yeah, like like sometimes procedural is weird, and sometimes saying like randomly generated is weird because what that actually means is weird. When you play enough Spelunky, you realize that for every zone, there's actually like a set of certain patterns of like quadrants of levels, and it's just like yeah, like we made like six different tiles of like tiles, and then we assemble them in different directions which is how you get to the different patterns of levels there's actually a really cool uh i have to find it for you for some reason it only works in a chrome browser so i have to download chrome but um is this this guy and, and it, it's like a, it shows how the um level is generated in spelunky oh yeah like bit by bit huh. and explains how that and it's really cool to watch uh but yeah <laughs> yeah uh because i wrote roguelikes <laughs> i remember we we did a system like that for a game that i worked on where that's like we just built like a room that would have like three doors on each side and then we just said okay here's a puzzle for this room and then we're just going to make sure that all the exits line up and then uh we just randomize the order of that the rooms appear in uh, another one that did that is receiver which like that game like that is a game that I would call a roguelike that is least roguelike because mm-hmm. that game barely even has items. Like uh it okay. it would feel a lot like heavy bullets but it has even less items than that cuz the thing about receiver is you start with one of three random guns in uh, a semi-random state. Like so the thing is the other thing about it is that it is basically a uh I like to think of it as a mechanical gun puzzle simulator. Because basically, because okay. like, basically, to get the gun from the starting state into like ready to fire, you have to do everything from like eject the magazine, holster the gun, insert bullets into the magazine, put it back into the gun, <laughs> release the slide lock, release the safety, pull back the slide in order to get it. If you do that without holding in the slide lock, you will fire any or you will eject any bullet that was in the chamber. At which point you need oh, to man. pick that back up, put take out the magazine, <laughs> put it back in, um, and then finally you can shoot it. And there are three different guns that you have to learn. But then, like after that part of it, it's basically it is basically just uh, you know the same thing. It is pre-constructed rooms in a straight line. Uh, the rooms are in like a random order with a number of different like entry and exits that will in so- like at least some of the doors will line up for every combination of rooms. And then the, it's just, it's closer to like Slender, but more random than Slender was. Cause, you know, Slender was just find the eight pages or whatever. This is like, there's 11 tapes and tapes will appear somewhere in huh. the game world. But like, after you play it twice, you're just like, okay, it's this room again. It's this room again. It's this room again. So like, yeah. But it, it also just, so like, at some point it's like, there is sort of a randomness to it, but enough of it is pre-built that you're just like, okay, I kind of have an idea of where they like to put guns, but whether or not, you know, the ones that I'm thinking about are there is sort of up to chance. Sometimes you walk into a room and there's just five guns and they're all looking directly at you. (laughs) 
Which, strange thing about Receiver, that is by Wolfire Games, the same guys who did Lugaru and uh, the the revised version Overgrowth. Which, those are physics-based rabbit fighting games. Those guys make games with really good descriptions. Yeah. <sighs> but yeah, rogue roguelikes are weird. Desktop Dungeons was... Desktop Dungeon was the last, like, actual roguelike roguelike I probably played. Yeah. I actually, um, I, I got a new laptop that's I do not have a lot of stuff on in case something happens to it again. But like one of the few things I've I've kept on there is actually the Doom roguelike. Oh, nice. Which is really weird because it kind of is just Doom, but it's also kind of like a rogue. So that was the other thing. Somebody said that the first roguelike was NetHack, which I have not played enough of either of those to know what the difference is. Like I always thought NetHack was just like a, a ported version of Rogue or something. But apparently there are like... Basically, the difference between rogue and a roguelike is if it is more like net hack than it is a roguelike. <laughs> uh, yeah, that uh, makes sense. Yeah, I've seen uh, rogue. I've seen that hacks and stuff. Yeah, that that's definitely a ro- roguelike stuff. But like, because yeah, like with stuff nowadays, we we kind of went we kind of went away from the top down turn based thing, and we do cool like runs and stuff, which is fine. They're really really fun. It's just the yeah. terminology gets changed, which is actually interesting. And. Uh, I think one of the things was sort of net hack. You were more likely to die. Like rogue is, you know, random and, you know, you need to find things out and there are like specific things that you might find depending on your run. But uh, I think sort of short, like that is a game where it was sort of expected that you could have a single player life and save it and continue it later on and play, play the same character for like 30 or 50 hours and I think there was actually, f- like, a final boss and a way to beat that game. Yeah, there is. Like, eventually. Yeah. Um, which, I don't know. I'm kind of down with the idea of just, like, games that are, like, this is randomly generated and also there is no end. Like, uh, I play a lot of... Uh, you may have seen the video series I've been doing, but I play a lot of Nuclear Throne these days. <laughs> yeah. And that. you, like, you could almost say that Nuclear Throne is kind of a roguelike or like-like or something, because there is that thing of, you know, even though the the order of zones is the same, level mm-hmm. generation is sort of, you know, semi-randomized and procedural. Uh, yeah. The, you know, the items that you get on any run are, are semi-randomized. There are secret areas that you can find. There's uh, just random things that will only happen sometimes. And, but then at the same time, like, the game in its current state, it's still technically not finished. Even though they just celebrated a year of development, uh, like when you beat the final boss, it loops, and theoretically, you could play that game forever. <laughs> like, like there is no final end to the game except for your death. Nice. <sighs> so definitely a rogue like, because there's also no uh, in between death unlocks except for more characters, which you will probably get ninety percent of them on your first run. Okay. <sighs> Okay, yeah. yeah. A- anything else to say? Uh, nope, that's about it. Then, Roguelite. It's a f- short, fun experience that, you know, worth the hour just to see how, you know, s- a small scope game, but it's got a solid core mechanical idea that they, you know, it's built solid enough around that to be a really enjoyable experience. This game is free to download, just like everything we talk about here on No Credit Continue. We will put a link to the game's homepage where it is available in our show notes. 
Our show notes are available at alikustudios.net slash podcast slash ncc. Uh, and while you're at Aliku Studios, you can check out our other shows like Orbiting the Ghost Planet and Late Night Gaiden. If you want to leave us feedback, you can send us an email at podcast at alikustudios.net. Or you could visit us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash aliku. There you can let us know anything you want to tell us. You can tell us about anything that you think we should know about, anything you would like to hear about on the show. Or just, you know, say something about uh, what you liked or didn't like about this show. While we're talking about feedback, uh, the show is available in iTunes. If you subscribe through iTunes, we ask that you leave a review and a rating because that really helps us uh, get out there. It, it does a lot to help people get to know about us and for us to show up in people's feeds. Okay, so, uh, yeah, uh, Andrew, thank you for joining me. Always a pleasure. I hope to hear more from you soon. Uh, and until the next time you hear from us, we are reminding you to give credit where credit is 25 cents per play.